first to securing real peace after warfare and the absolutely vital need for diplomacy and negotiation abilities. It's all hard, but central to what's underway right now in efforts to stop the awful civil conflict in Ethiopia. Now, we reported last November on the peace deal brokered in Pretoria by the African Union. Very important, but very fragile. Yes, the main protagonists, the Ethiopian government and the Tigrayan regime, have agreed to moves that should guarantee some order. But other key players, like neighbouring Eritrea and the Amhara separatist group, they have to play their part and withdraw all their forces. The fightings claimed possibly 600,000 lives, extraordinary figure. Atrocities have occurred by probably all the groups involved. Tigray is in ruins. Amidst some positive signs, the situation is tense and Australia's Assistant Minister for Foreign Affairs, Tim Watts, flew out late Thursday evening to Africa and found time to speak to us just before he left. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Why is it important for Australia to show that it's paying attention to what's going on here? Well, in short, Africa matters to Australia. While it's understandable that the focus of the Australian government is on our own immediate region, on the Indo-Pacific, we absolutely have global interests. And to pursue global interests, we need to act globally. So Africa already is a quarter of the United Nations, uh, 54 out of 193 nations. And by 2050, it'll be a quarter of the world's population. So if we want to be influential on global issues, we need to be engaged in Africa. Now, I'm sure listeners will say, oh, is this just because China's getting very interested in Africa that we're suddenly showing a lot of interest? Well, it's important that nations around the world are working together to support the rules-based international order. If we have a view about the way that nations should interact with each other in the international system, we need to work with other nations of like mind to prosecute that case. So, as you say, we can't ignore a quarter of the nations in the United Nations. If we want to shape the way that they interact, we have to turn up and we have to engage. Who will you be meeting? I take it you go to Ethiopia straight away, do you? Because then I think you then go on to Kenya, don't you? Yes, I'll be flying out to Ethiopia into Addis Ababa to attend the annual African Union Summit meeting. And on the continent of Africa, the African Union and the, the annual summit is a very influential forum. This is where everyone comes together once a year. So I'll have many meetings with counterparts from around the continent. But importantly, we'll have uh, discussions with the Ethiopian government and other regional partners about the Pretoria Peace Agreement and progress on the implementation of that very important agreement. How do you judge the strength and durability of that agreement now that you've absorbed yourself in it all? Well, it's been over three months now since the announcement of the Pretoria Peace Agreement. And, you know, we really welcomed that African leadership from the African Union, from former President Kenyatta and President Obasanjo and the South African government in bringing the parties to the table to agree that, that peace agreement. There's been encouraging process in the implementation of the agreement. Um, it's very welcome that humanitarian aid deliveries have really significantly increased and we're now seeing millions of people receiving assistance um, since the peace agreement was signed. We've also seen significant increase in access to electricity, phone, banking services in Tigray and that's now looking comparable to other regions in the country. We should, however, be under no illusions. The humanitarian situation in northern Ethiopia is extremely challenging. Around 12 million people remain in need of assistance and there are more than 2.5 million people who are still displaced. So encouraging progress, um, but there's still a long way to go. Yes, I think the World Food Program said in August last year that almost half of the Tigrayan population was facing severe hunger. Fortunately, we've seen a confluence of a number of crises in the, in the Horn of Africa. So 
it's been five consecutive failed rainy seasons there. And when you compound that with the impacts of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, still weak supply chains after the COVID crisis, and now, in recent years, the conflict um, in Ethiopia, the food security situation is very dire. Mm. And, and that's why we have been providing significant assistance. We've contributed $25 million in funding for this financial year to help alleviate f- food insecurity in the Horn of Africa, including an extra $15 million that I announced last week. But also that good international citizenship that Australia has always relied on. We've provided $50 million already this year for the World Food Program. That's to date. And last year we provided $157 million and the bulk of that goes into Africa at the moment. Now, what about this business of withdrawing the fighters? The Eritreans have got to withdraw to have any hope of this holding and there's evidence that they are and they aren't. It's a bit unclear. The Amhara separatist group who collaborated with the Ethiopian government, they also have got to withdraw and again, mixed evidence as it is with the Tigrayans. So this this is on a bit of a knife edge, isn't it? And I'm just wondering what something like Australia. I mean, has there been any talk of a force that is outside the area coming in to actually monitor those withdrawals? We're actively monitoring the implementation of the agreement and we actively encourage parties to seize this opportunity to work together for a lasting peace. The Pretoria Peace Agreement was a big moment, but we need to follow through on it. As you say, it's critically important for the success of the Pretoria Peace Agreement that it's not derailed by other parties. So the withdrawal of Eritrean forces from Ethiopian territory and the withdrawal of all Amhara militia from Tigray is very important to the success of the agreement. You know, Australia supports African-led solutions to these crises and that's part of what I'll be going to the Africa Union to hear about and listen to African perspectives about how best to ensure the success of this peace agreement. And look, how important is it to bring perpetrators of the wartime atrocities, and they are on many sides, I must say, to account for war crimes like sexual violence? And the BBC was reporting just this week that there's ongoing sexual violence which took place during the conflict because that's a very touchy subject. I mean, Rwanda's been a trailblazer there that you have to bring some things the service, so South Africa, of course, before you can imagine that everybody can settle down. Now, I wonder what your view is on that. Well, we've consistently advocated with all parties for the importance of both reconciliation and justice and accountability for human rights abuses that have been perpetuated in this crisis over the last two years. And the reason that we do that, there's a number of reasons. First, we know that it's very important for Ethiopian diaspora community members in Australia. This is something that is a very significant ask for them when they engage with government and we support that. More fundamentally, though, reconciliation and justice initiatives are important to preserve the durability of peace agreements. Of course, some would say you're actually not helping people put it aside. You're you're raising it, you're flaring it all the time by this. Well, it's important that the feelings of diaspora community members, the feelings of people on the ground that need to see that justice is done is addressed. It's not something that goes away in the wake of these conflicts. So it's better that it is addressed head on by the people involved and that that need for justice and accountability is incorporated in the implementation of this peace agreement. Mm. Look, foreign policy has got an interesting point that many Tigrayans seem to believe that Tigray got the short end of the stick in that agreement and the provisions for disarmament of the Tigray Defence Force uh, underway with no attempts to address the root causes of the war and that, in fact, there's a little bit of emergence of a politics of resentment and discontent content inside Tigray 
which of course was used to being powerful, that could one day spark conflict and resume hostilities. This again is the challenge of of an enduring peace, isn't it? You're quite right. But it's important that for an enduring peace, that dialogue and that peaceful intent is continued to be pursued. It's rare that in the wake of a conflict like this, a peace agreement will address all issues. But it's important that parties continue to talk, continue to listen to perspectives and continue to address the legitimate concerns of all parties. Well, good luck. It'll be interesting to hear how you find it all. Thanks for joining us before you go pleasure. Thank you. The Assistant Foreign Minister, we've never had one before. He's our first, uh, Tim Watts. I might add he's also the author of two books, The Golden Country, Australia's Changing Identity and Two Futures, Australia at a Critical Moment, co-written with his colleague, Minister for Home Affairs, Claire O'Neill. So you might like to uh, seek them out. And just a very quick also mention too about Africa and who's interested in it. Russia has established its first military base in Africa at Port Sudan uh, on the Red Sea. Um, And the New York Times reported Moscow's planning to garrison troops there as well as station four warships at this new base in Sudan. So, um, you know, Africa is coming into centre frame. Now, what's the view on the ground about chances of peace in Ethiopia? Last year, we spoke to a freelance journalist based in Addis Ababa, Samuel Getachew, about his impressions. He made quite an impact on listeners with his candid emotion over acute worries, almost his despair, about what had been lost during the vicious internal wars. Let's welcome him back to the program. Hello there, Samuel. Hello. Do you think the peace is fragile? It really is. You know, the last two years has been painful to all of us, even to those uh, watching from a distance. I'm sure your listeners, um, you know, some of us were able to travel and see, you know, the faces behind the numbers. They keep telling us 600,000 people may have died. So when you've seen some of the faces, it's really, really painful. But people are excited that uh, the idea of uh, peace is being even discussed, uh, that the actors, the Ethiopian government side and the TPLF are meeting. is a surprise to all of us. And I hope peace will be a reality in Ethiopia and in the region. You feel a bit more hope than you did when you spoke to us last time. Um, I mean, last year I was worried. Um, I had been traveling to many parts of this country. And it was painful. Many, many people were dying. It was a conflict defined by sexual violence. Uh, Young women, you know, some of them as young as nine, eight, were telling us they were being sexually violated. And it's, it's a painful conflict. I don't think there's a conflict that's as painful as the one we had in this country. And that's what also some commentators are saying, there will be no peace without recognising the scale of loss and having people account for it and bringing this out into the open now. Do you think that that's doable? Well, Ethiopia is not um, a rich country. I don't think Ethiopia will have enough resources to be able to open up and tell us what happened and bring some kind of justice to the victims. When the victims are in the hundreds of thousands and then two millions, you know, millions of Ethiopians have been displaced as a result of this conflict. Um, I don't think it will do anyone justice. I mean, I don't think Ethiopia will have enough resources. Uh, But again, 
um, even the idea of ending this conflict is really, really um, an exciting time for all of us. What are the signs that you can see that the armed men of a range of different groups are retreating, are laying down their weapons? Because there's mixed evidence about this. I don't think the people are ready to really engage in a peaceful process uh, when there's no system to address you know, what happened and their complaints. But there has been discussion. You know, you only have to open social media to see that many people are interested, many people are engaged in the idea of peace. In the last two years, um, you know, what, even watching the discussion on social media would confuse you. Um, I mean, Ethiopia was becoming like, uh, you know, some of the countries you see in the world, um, like Syria and South Sudan, and Ethiopia has a population of more than 120 million. And if this country comes becomes like those countries, it will be hell. What are the key challenges then that you see that could push things towards more conflict or towards more peace? I think um, overall people understand that peace is a better option for this country. Uh, we don't want to see more victims but there also has to be a system where, you know, some of the victims can be heard. Um, you know, countries like your own countries have been able to address some of the misgivings, uh, the shortcomings uh, in terms of, uh, you know, your population, uh, the natives, uh, for instance. Uh, it's the same in countries like Canada. But Ethiopia has to find a way to address and say this would never happen again. So unless there is a system to address the complaints, I think it will be a cash 22 for, the, for Ethiopia. Is there a role for the international community? And if so, how then? Well, you know, there are some progressive uh, Westerners who come to Ethiopia and who assume that um, throwing money to, you know, some of the status quo ideas would be the solution. But there has to be a way to help Ethiopia create a system. Um, to empower some of the systems that really exist in this country, including the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, which is an idea that came from Canada. Um, and it's really working, addressing some of the complaints. I think helping some of the system become more powerful will help Ethiopia than just throwing money and uh, expecting um, good results. Mm. Although growing economic instability is something that is being mentioned by, say, The Economist magazine says, look, you know, you won't get peace if you don't get economic stability. I mean, that's the idea. Ethiopia was uh, becoming um, a country that was welcoming investments from other countries to come to this country, create jobs. Ethiopia was becoming a country more than an aid-dependent nation beyond the famines we've been hearing for a long, long time. And there, I mean, there has to be a system to welcome them. And unless you engage young people in terms of employment, Ethiopia will become an aid-dependent nation once again. And I mean, Westerners can help Ethiopia create jobs. Unless you create jobs, the high unemployment in this country will be uh, the number one problem that will uh, bring Ethiopia to uh, the status quo. And what about the Tigrayans? How do you... How do you think they're feeling at the moment? Uh, I mean, they must be confused. Uh, there are too many victims. Um, you know, when phones opens, opened up and, um, you know, people were, you know, trying to tell us, you know, some of their families have been killed in this conflict. Some of them couldn't even find the most basic medicine to save their loved ones' um, uh, lives and so on. 
So they're telling us all kinds of stories. You know, they've been impacted. Much of the conflict was in the region of Tigray. There are too many victims. And like many Ethiopians, they're really, really hurt hurt, uh, in terms of uh, what happened in this country in the last two years. Mm. But again, the conversation continues. Well, I hope it does, Samuel, and it's good to hear you sounding good. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Happy to join you. Samuel Getachew, a freelance journalist uh, based in Addis Ababa. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.